You're listening to the Two Degrees Podcast, a podcast dedicated to having constructive and positive discussions around climate change and climate-related policy. Two Degrees is a project of the New York Youth Climate Leaders. The opinions and perspectives discussed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the New York Youth Climate Leaders. Welcome to a new episode of Two Degrees. I'm your host, Radesh Singh. I'm your host, Bridget Mursaw. And we are back after taking a bit of a break as we all transitioned to school in this new COVID-induced reality of education in America. And today in studio with us is the Democratic nominee for the 57th district in the New York State Assembly, Farah Superant Forrest. We'll be speaking with her about her recent win as well as how she sees herself legislating in Albany in the upcoming session. We hope you enjoy this episode. All right, so first we wanted to ask, um, could you just introduce yourself and explain why you got into electoral politics in the first place? Um, my name is Vera Soufrant Forrest. I am a nurse, a tenant activist, and recently the Democratic nominee for Assembly District 57, seeking to represent parts of Crown Heights, Clinton Hill, Prospect Heights, Fort Green Park and a little bit of Bed-Stuy. The electoral work is really um, personal to me. Housing um, really was difficult for me and my neighbors. You know, we had a landlord that threatened us, harassed us and neglected our building. And then the final cross was convert our building, rent stabilized building into a, con a luxury condominium. And I just knew that that would put us at risk for eviction eventually. And these are people that, you know, have been living in the neighborhood for 40, 50 years. And we worked hard for our home and we deserve to keep our home. Um, and so joining Crown Heights Tenants Union and then overall the Housing Justice for All Coalition across New York State, I did some trainings and really understood the power of um, not only people power, right, but then also understanding how much the state has its stakes in um, how we live in Brooklyn. And so after the demonstrations in 2019, June, when I had gotten arrested uh, for housing, stronger housing laws, I decided then, you know, not only am I going to run for office to seek to represent the people who live like me, but also to set my eyes on Albany where the seat of power really sat. Thanks so much for sharing. So what are your experiences with the climate crisis and how have they influenced your outlook as a legislator? So I am of Haitian descent and I see the changes that have happened in um, Haiti, um, in my family town, desertification, movement of people from the farms into the towns, the growth of slums, lack of water, safe drinking water. And that was always something in my mind that's happening in Haiti, a third world country, right? But to see after Hurricane Sandy, people having issues 
connecting their homes to electricity, people losing their homes, and then the rebuilding after where there were clear priorities, people were being prioritized while others were being left behind. It just seemed, wow, you know, what I was seeing in Haiti is not far removed from what I see happening in parts of Brooklyn and Queens, Manhattan after Hurricane Sandy. So not only as a legislator do I acknowledge that climate change is real. I mean, we're beyond that point, right? Um, but we're at the point of how do we not only protect our communities, protect our most vulnerable communities, but then how do we create a just transition to more efficient use of power and one that is respectful of not only our, our natural resources, but also that will seek to strengthen our communities. And so um, that's what guides me in the decisions that I make now, as far as what I choose to support and what will guide me later on, as far as what bills I co-sign and eventually vote on. Great. Uh, do you still happen to have family living in Haiti? Yes, I do. And how have they coped with the recent string of Atlantic hurricanes? I know that this, um, this Atlantic uh, hurricane season has been one of the worst in recent memory. Um, it's, it's really tough. Uh, for example, my stepfather, he had to travel back for the death of an aunt. And um, it's gotten to the point where something as common in the Caribbean as a hurricane now has such deep impacts into our into their economics, into their social structures, into their daily lives, that every point is a point of contention. Um, water, business, politics, the country just cannot run and function normally. And you cannot compartmentize it anymore to say that oh, it's because we have bad president, it's because we have a, a bad, people are just out of touch with their community ties. It's not that, it's just basically you don't have enough and you have people fighting over very little that's left. And so the hurricane is just, you know, just throwing hot sauce on everything. Yeah, definitely. And I'm so sorry to hear that um, the passing of your relative. Um, and how do you hope, uh, you mentioned that you, you've been very active in um, housing fights in New York City. How do you hope that your background as an activist in a variety of different struggles translates into your role as a state legis legislator in Albany? It seems to me that it's so important for legislators to be connected to the groundwork that is happening in their communities. Because not only does it separate them from political power play, but it also attaches them to the very people who not only elect them, but support them and validate their mandate in Albany. And so as an activist, it just is such a streamless, it's, it's a seamless transition. It feels so seamless to me to go to Albany because I may not know yet um, the ins and outs of all the bill writing technicalities, but I know what's an important bill gonna stand on and it has to stand on what my community 
believes in and 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 wants and desires so i think that's how my roots as an activist is only going to just translate into albany definitely and you mentioned that you're uh want to go into albany to represent your constituents what have you been hearing from your constituents in terms of some of the struggles and needs uh, that they have, especially given this really unprecedented time of both the coronavirus pandemic being one of the worst public health crises um, in recent memory, along with the economic fallout that has resulted from the COVID-19 pandemic? There's a part of running an, uh, an elect, running a campaign, excuse me, in a health crisis because it forces you to change or at least made it very clear that the pathway that I had to victory um, was the only pathway to represent people. And that's literally picking up the phone and calling people and asking them what's going on. And so when I had picked up the phone and, and spoke to constituents, because uh, I couldn't knock on their doors, you learn a host of issues that they're facing on a daily basis. It could be something as parking, simple as parking, or it's not simple to some people. Um, transportation, housing, of course, is a big one. And it's not just healthcare in a pandemic. It's about lack of quality of life. People were literally struggling to understand not only and navigate the healthcare system, but then they were struggling to see that they had a very small piece, like their health had a very small piece in the healthcare system. Um, that was not the priority. We know that profits at the end of the day rule um, how healthcare is delegated, especially in communities like mine. And then of course, racial justice. We cannot forget that, you know, us simmering under all of these other topics is this idea of who is going to receive things. And when you boil it down, even when you look at, oh, well, this person has $100 versus this person has $10. At the end of the day, even if you did have the $100, if you're Black, your skin is Black, you might as well just rock with that $10 and just keep it pushing because the racial divide amongst all the communities in Brooklyn is real. And so it's not a surprise to me how we see certain surges and coronavirus now, you know, it, it, it follows color lines in some places. For sure. Connecting to that. So as you mentioned earlier, you have a background in nursing. And mm -hmm. would you talk about how you view the climate crisis from a con the context of being a nurse? So our climate and how we treat and what we dump into the air, what we dump into the water, eventually goes into our bodies. It goes into our bodies. And I just don't see the separation between health and the environment. So to me, it behooves us as people, as businesses, as property owners, legislators to get into this climate fight because at the end of the day, it's us. It's us and our bodies that um, are going to pay for it and our future and our children's bodies that are gonna pay for it. If you dump air, you know, bad air, you breathe it. You have bad water, you're drinking it. So that's how as a nurse, I see it tied back to us. Definitely, and given that, uh, what are some of the top solutions to the climate crisis you think could be implemented by the state in the upcoming legislative session? I am a champion for the Green New Deal. 
right? We have a package of policies, bills that really just center around what I was talking about, right? Just transition. And if we're going to say that we're going to do better for ourselves and the communities and the environment, right? Um, we really need to focus on transitioning to like 100% clean renewable energy. And there's a deadline by that, 2030, 20, 20, right? we have to undo the damage that's been done. And that means that we can't add on to it. So we have to stop the construction of all new fossil fuel infrastructure. Um, I know some people up in Rochester, but don't, don't want me to hear, don't want to hear that, but we can't keep adding to the problem. And then as we continue to transition, right? You have to make sure that the people who are working in green jobs, people who are working back in the communities, in other communities that were not in green job, have union jobs, like period, union jobs across the board. And then uh, we really need to make sure our power system is publicly owned and operated. No more shady business, all right? No more power in the hands of the few. So we need to make sure it's public, it is transparent. So that way we make sure that the savings and the cost of efficiency actually gets back to the people who really need it the most. And then the way we make sure all of this happens is by taxing the rich. It's egregious to think that in this pandemic, we have 126 billionaires making billions of dollars up on Wall Street and you know Upper East Side, and yet people are facing housing issues, housing insecurity evictions on the other side of the uh, city. So we need to make sure that the tax, that, that we tax the rich so that we all can live dignified lives. So you are just mentioning taxing the rich and um, we're curious, what are some of the wealth taxes that you think could be implemented to raise the funds that you need, we need for the Green New Deal? So we have a millionaire's tax. We have a pied-a-terre tax, right? Ch taxing people who have second homes. And then one that I support because, you know, she's my fellow socialist, Julia Salazar, has Senate Bill S4511A. And I forgot the real name of this bill, but it relates to the personal income tax rates for New York residents um, with taxable income over a million dollars. There is so many ways that we can have progressive taxing where we can actually target people who are making a lot of money and not contributing to this society. So I support those and many other forms of progressive taxing. For sure. Um, obviously, you know, during this pandemic, New York's 100 plus billionaires have made billions upon billions of dollars while millions of New Yorkers have filed for unemployment and tens of thousands of New Yorkers have perished during one of the worst public health crises in the last 100 years. So obviously, uh, the wealthy in New York State can obviously pay their fair share as we go through one of the worst times in our history as a nation. Additionally, um, you're part of an incoming freshman class in Albany that many observers are hailing as one of the most progressive in recent state history. What do you hope to accomplish with this group of lawmakers and what do you re realistically think can be done legislatively in the upcoming session? I hope to bring the revolution. That is the, that is the hope of me and the other members of this slate. We want to fundamentally change the way New York State functions. 
um, where we prioritize people over profits, where we have a really democratic system that allows everyone a seat at the table and an equal seat too. Okay, not, not some people sharing a seat. No, everybody gets a seat on their own. But what do we think that we can really have, that can really happen in uh, the legislature next year is being elected on our mandates and standing strong to what we believe in and voting accordingly to how we believe um, New York State should be run. We hope that this can be a beacon um, to other legislators to not only come out the closet as progressive, you know, <laughs> we know a lot of people want to be progressive, but they just didn't have the coalition to back them up. Yes, you're, you're not alone anymore. You have friends, you're amongst friends now. And then um, to then build those relationships up to really uniting the different communities that represent us. Rochester is not that different from Troy, not that different from Schenectady, Buffalo, Ithaca, Canandaigua. It's not, we're not all that different because we're all part of that 99% and we have that 1% that's pressing down on us. So that's what I want us to um, really be able to do in the legislature this year and in the session, really push the envelope that nothing is normal. We, we have a new norm now, new business. Nothing can happen as it was before. So you mentioned that you see a new coalition rising in New York State that's pushing progressive change. What do you see that coalition doing in the next few years? And who do you see making up that coalition? The coalition that we're trying to build, excuse me, the coalition we are building is going to put a priority on people. Right now, the coalition is heavily hand held and directed by a few even though well-meaning but few and that's what we're trying to get the mindset out it's not enough to have a few people at the table we need as many people on at the table giving uh, and, and and providing direction to to how people live and, and their lives and so the coalition right now I think has plenty of uh, well-intentioned, well-meaning um, groups, but we want to expand that to include actual people where it's a democratic process, where we have people actually voting on who they want to represent them. Um, but then going beyond that, the policies, the, the actual laws that are created, the implementation of these laws, that's how it'll be beautiful to see how many people can actually have input into that that beautiful democratic process. So um, that's the coalition that, I mean, that's my dream coalition where you and I, we, we both know what time it is at all times because we are part of that process. Great, well, thank you so much for joining us, Fair. We really, really appreciate uh, you taking the time to join us. And if uh, people wanna learn more about you and your campaign, where they can they go uh, to learn more? Of course, they can hit me up on Twitter, Farah for Assembly. Um, they can check out my website, farahforassembly.com. Yeah, I can't wait to connect with people. Um, and oh, also on Facebook, all across all the um, platforms, Farah for Assembly. And that's P H A R A. 
Great. Well, thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing what you do in Albany next year. Thank you so much, everyone, for having me. Our producers are Anna Sarasuleti and Tucker Beckett. The music is by Francis Bach. And our guest today was Farah Soufrant Forrest. Thank you for listening. You can find us on social media at Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at NY2CL and Twitter at NYYouthClimate.